What's up, everyone? I'm Dub Jelson, and I'm here with Purdue President Mitch Daniels. Mitch, how are you? Uh, doing fine, Dub. Nice to be with you. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, so, students are going back on, on Monday. Uh, that's when classes start. And we're in the midst of this whole COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it's, it's been a rough time uh, for everyone, but how have you personally been handling it and how much work has gone into getting students back and having students go remote um, last semester? A ton of work has gone into it. Um, it. Really only a few of us will probably ever appreciate all the effort and investment and uh, all the different uh, tasks that, that people have undertaken to try to make it possible, and we're just going to have to find out if it is possible uh, for uh, you and your fellow students to uh, keep moving ahead and keep moving ahead uh, with a, a reasonable degree of, of the on-campus experience that we've always known. Um, so uh, it, it's been a very interesting last few months. On the one hand, all that work and a lot of very new assignments um, for us all. Um, on the other hand, so many things that we weren't able to, that, we're, that I'm used to doing and others are, but that, that aren't there. I, I don't have the on-campus events, I don't have sporting events, I don't have speeches and travel and things that used to fill up the calendar. And so, uh, very busy, but on, a very, uh, but on a very different set of assignments. And the biggest change, and I'm really going to regret this because it's going to be this way for a while, you know, I've been able for eight years spend a lot of time with students with mm -hmm. uh, both undergrads and grad students, but it's been one of the uh, great uh, learning experiences of the job, been one of the real fun parts of the job, and uh, not going to be able to do that for yeah. a while. Can't go to the co-rack, can't go eat in the dining courts uh, in the uh, co-ops uh, uh, you know, co and places, but uh, just one of the adjustments I'll have to make, and we all will, I guess. Mm -hmm. Is it safe to say that it's probably your your toughest, most um, difficult to navigate stretch um, as president of Purdue? Dub, it probably is. And, uh, and we have to worry that it'll become more difficult yet. I mean, the, the spring and coming to the conclusion that we had to suspend uh, campus operations was no fun at all. We, it was a decision that was being made all over the country, and I guess that took a little bit of the sting out of it. Mm -hmm. um, as you and I are talking here, there have already been two or three schools that have tried to do what we're gonna try to do and come up short, had to make some kind of a change. And um, so that's pretty sobering. But um, look, that's what, as far as I'm concerned, uh, we were hired to make a, an, a great place for young people to come and learn and and uh, so uh, this, this is what the job's all about. It just took on a new form when this disease got here. Mm -hmm. And I think I speak for all Purdue students when I, when I say that you guys have succeeded in that. Purdue's, I think it's the best school in the country personally, but I might be a little biased. Um, so you kind of touched on uh, the two, two or three schools that have had to go remote, uh, UNC and Notre Dame. So what kinds of how can you look at um, how those schools approached it and learn from that so we don't make those same mistakes and have to have to go um, remote? Uh, I just got off a very lengthy phone call with people at the top of the UNC system 
asking you know, for just that kind of information, what can we learn from this? And I would not be you know, particularly critical of anything that seems they did. If, if, if there was one thing they could have probably done better, it was had more space to uh, you know, isolate and quarantine uh, uh, people uh, while, they, while they got better, mm -hmm. uh, which essentially all their students have. But um, um, the, it, there, and, and, and as I understand it, Notre Dame too, the single biggest problem is, uh, is social uh, activities off campus. The vast majority of students, uh, I'm told, in both those places have been doing everything asked of them. But all it takes is one or two parties uh, that where people uh, uh, sort of cast the rules aside, get together indoors, no masks, you know, and all that. And it can spread like crazy from, from a one or two or three events. And that's what happened. That's what brought UNC down. Uh, and uh, what caused Notre Dame at least to step back uh, for a couple weeks. So we've emphasized it. We're going to emphasize it even more. Um, you know, you're, you're performing a public service if a number of students see this and understand that holding a party like that um, is going to be a, is considered as serious a violation of university rules as, uh, you know, cheating or something. And you could be out of here. Uh, we mean business about it because we have to. The whole enterprise could be stopped literally by just a, a handful of uh, events that seem like fun, but, you know, turn into um, to new, uh, as I say, clusters of this, uh, of this bug. Mm -hmm. I think students need to just, I mean, you just need to buckle down for the, for the time being and, and try to do the right things. I know it's hard. Um, it's hard for me, it's hard for all the students to not be social, not hang out with your friends that you haven't seen since, what, March. Um, so are you guys going to be policing that a little more, the university and all that? Well, to the extent we can, um, you know, an off-campus party that no one ever hears about till it's too late, uh, can't do much about it. But, you know, we, we won't hesitate to go and ask people, please, you know, stop now. Um, but uh, by then it could already be too late. The, this thing transmits very, very quickly. And, um, uh, but anyway, uh, you ask a great question, what can we learn from the early experience of some of these other schools? And that's, that's probably lesson number one. I guess it's not a surprise, we speculated on it, but uh, uh, it's uh, at least as big a, a threat as, as we thought it might be. And you know, I just wanna say, and I've said before, no one regrets all these restrictions and inconveniences more than I do. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I really look forward to when we don't, uh, when we can uh, change them and, and moderate them. But um, uh, if, if the evidence didn't tell us they were really necessary, uh, then we, we wouldn't do it. And I hope students understand that. Yeah, I think, I think the majority of them do. Obviously, there's some outliers. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about um, you kind of touched on it briefly before the amount of quarantine rooms slash beds that Purdue has. Um, you said that that was maybe an issue at UNC. So how many beds do we actually have or, or rooms or however we're doing that? And how are you guys approaching the quarantine? Like, where is it at and all the details? Yeah, we have uh, um, close to 600 rooms um, and we are looking at, still for more. Um, 
and um, uh, the, uh, the, the CDC has changed their guidance uh, and now thinks 10 days, says, tells us 10 days is an adequate time. This is almost certainly true for healthy young people uh, who uh, uh, typically uh, are either, either have no symptoms at all or very mild symptoms and, um, and probably um, data seems to be suggesting are, are less, the less likely to transmit, uh, the less uh, uh, symptomatic that, that they are. So, um, but still, um, we just can't know if we get a, if we get a real outbreak at a concentrated period of time, um, whether, we, uh, whether we've got enough of them or not, enough rooms or not. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's also the issue of, and maybe the opportunity uh, for some students, if, they acquire, if, they're, if they're already living off campus, to, we're gonna ask them to quarantine where they are till we mm -hmm. find out that they're well or not infected. And um, as was raised at a, in, in a couple recent meetings, a significant number of our students don't live very far away. Could be that they would want to go home for a few days mm -hmm. until, the, uh, until, it's, uh, until they're cleared to return. So we may have a little more capacity than it feels like, but uh, one of the very first things we did in the spring when this whole thing became uh, visible was to uh, stop the, the planned demolition of some old units over at Purdue Village um, that we were getting ready to take down. It is they're near the end of their life, useful yeah. life. And, um, we realized that maybe we better preserve them here for a, a while in case we needed them for some temporary housing space. Mm -hmm. So one thing that kind of concerned me um, was the, the large lecture halls such as like Lilly and class of 1950. So if one person in that, in that lecture hall, say a 1030 lecture, um, if they test positive, would all 400 or 300, how many ever students are in there, would they be required to quarantine? No, absolutely not. I mean, first of all, as you know, there'll be many fewer large lectures. Most of those, yeah. so many of those will be moved online. That's good. Mm -hmm. thing. But uh, whether it's a larger or small hall, we, we have a, a really good system, we believe, for identifying uh, through our Wi-Fi network, people who um, were in close proximity, you know, six feet is now deemed, in fact, in they're really saying less than six feet is adequate spacing, but we're still using six for safety's sake and, and, the, and duration. And so what really matters is what our, our, the, the professionals call medically significant contact. So passing somebody outdoors isn't significant. Mm -hmm. And even being indoors with somebody who uh, is infected, if you're uh, only there for a, a few minutes, or you're not within a few feet, and certainly if people are wearing masks, as they should be, yeah. uh, those aren't, uh, those are almost no chance of transmission there. So the answer to your question is, if somebody uh, did does test positive, when somebody tests positive, we will look to see what classrooms they have been in. And, and if there are people who have been uh, in proximity to them for a significant period of time, I think 15 minutes is what's being, use, maybe it's less, uh, we'll absolutely want to talk to them, but you wouldn't have to go to a huge number. Mm -hmm. So that's safe to say, like, uh, for example, my podcasting class, there's like 15 kids in there. So if like someone tests positive in there, then we'd all probably be required to quarantine. 
Not necessarily. Not necessarily, um, but. Not necessarily. Um, so um, uh, again, we'll only do that where there's some reasonable chance that, yeah. the, that there was a medically significant encounter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit glib to say this, Dub, but uh, certainly it's a, it's a reasonable goal for us. I've been telling people for a long time now uh, that probably one of the safest places to be in Tippecanoe County this fall will be in a Purdue classroom. Mm-hmm. It'll have been cleaned and recleaned and recleaned. The air filtration has probably been a- adjusted. The, the people in there will be spaced out the, uh, and wearing masks. I hope everybody will abide by that. If not, we're gonna, uh, there'll be a consequence. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so uh, um, it's certainly our goal that that, uh, that be uh, a, uh, a very safe place. You know, talking to the people in North Carolina, it's, in, it's very interesting. They've had this big number now of cases. They don't find a single one that happened in a classroom. So, uh, and they took similar measures. I'm sure they didn't take any more measures than we did. So these things are worth uh, working on, but that is not where the big, if we're gonna have a great big problem, that is probably uh, one of the least likely places it'll start. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree with that. So you talked about wanting people to wear masks. I don't know if there's technically like a mandate for that. Um, I know you sh- I know you have to wear them like when you're in a classroom in a building such as um, things of that nature. And personally, I wear a mask because I'm type 1 diabetic, so I'm technically more at risk. Good, good um, for you. Yeah, you should. And, I, and I've only been here since yesterday, but I mean, I've only seen, I've only seen like a handful of students not wearing masks and they're, they're all outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so how are you guys going about ensuring that almost everyone wears a mask? Obviously, you can't make sure um, every single student is. Of course, students have signed a pledge that says they'll do that. So they're violating uh, that pledge and, and uh, therefore an, a university regulation if they don't uh, do it. Now, of course, it, it, it says indoors and outdoors where you can't have adequate distance. So uh, I, I've seen the same thing. I'm very positively impressed. And I've been you know, running into students and thanking them. Uh, you just, we're off to a great start in that way. Um, but I will tell you this, the people in North Carolina said they had good on-campus um, compliance, they thought. Students arrived with the right intentions and, uh, and, and did the same things that you have been observing so far here. And it wasn't good enough because of the off-campus uh, partying problem. Mm-hmm. I think one, one, one issue that could come up that's kind of out of Purdue students and, and you guys, out of our control is um, people coming in, people that live in Lafayette coming to campus. So are you guys trying to combat that at all? Or is it just kind of everyone fend for themselves? Well, it's not the latter. I mean, we do have a visitor policy and uh, certainly any scheduled event, uh, uh, people uh, will uh, will pass through a, um, in, in essence, a, 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 a version of the pledge themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, no, though, you're raising a very important point. Uh, we're going to work at, we are, have worked as hard as we can to make the campus safe and to minimize the chance that, that a student either uh, brings the virus here, as you know, the pre-testing. Now we've, we've got over 30,000 results 
and then the incidence was 0 0.75 and that's it's a good thing that means that uh, any uh, any positives that uh, ha that uh, do come to campus probably gonna be a very very small number much better by the way than what they had in North Carolina but um, um, we began to realize over the summer that at least as big a concern was not the campus uh, causing uh, infections in the community but vice versa yeah and um, so uh, we but we've had we tried to build a great relationship, I think we have, with the county health authorities. They're doing a good job. The mayors have put some restrictions in place on bars and so forth. We've been talking to the apartment owners, um, trying to get them to uh, do uh, uh, this, the kind of things that we're doing. It's very much in their interest to do this. And so um, uh, you're, you're raising a, a point that we, that we think about a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I wanted to transition to how COVID-19 is impacting Purdue sports specifically because um, a lot of the, the economy around like West Lafayette and other places like Bloomington <clears throat> and college towns kind of revolves around the students and athletics. So how is that going to be um, affected here at Purdue? Obviously, Big Ten football is canceled. Um, do you guys have a plan for kind of winter and spring sports? Are you guys working with the Big Ten to come up, come up with any solutions such as like a bubble or something of that nature? Well, I would say that, the, first of all, nobody's more uh, disappointed and unhappy about it than I am, a, you know, huge sports fan, especially Boilermaker sports. Um, not going to get into, you know, talk out of school about, about conversations that happened inside the conference, but uh, eventually a, uh, you know, collective decision was made, as you know, not just football, but all fall sports. Yeah. And I just feel terrible about that outcome. Um, but uh, uh, so there's not yet a plan, but there's certainly a plan to have a plan mm -hmm. to, uh, to get back as fast as possible. I think it's even the day uh, today as we're just as we're talking that they're announcing a, a, a committee across the Big Ten involving uh, coaches and athletic directors and medical directors and others to um, try to get back to competition. You know, I was, uh, I was proud of uh, Coach Brom for stepping out and making a constructive suggestion early on as he did about how you might uh, play football in the second, in the second semester. So uh, let's just hope we can, we can get there. Um, but um, uh, too soon to tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so is there any plan in place as of right now for winter and spring sports, such as, such as like basketball? I know there's some rumblings on, on social media and through the media about, um, maybe there being a big 10 bubble and then transitioning that to like a March madness bubble. Have you heard anything yeah. about that? Just those rumors. Really? I don't know. I know the NCAA uh, says that. Um, and now in probably uh, three weeks or so, they expect to have some kind of a, of a, of a guideline out about basketball, but that, that's obviously the next big question. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I think people are hoping to learn something from the, the professional experience here. Um, not saying that that, that that could be replicated, be hard, but uh, uh, maybe there, maybe there are lessons that we can derive from that, but. Uh, beyond that, I just don't know right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly an uncertain time. 
um, right now. But so transitioning away from COVID, I don't want to have like a sovereign tone this whole interview. Um, I want to talk about all the great things that you've done at Purdue as as our president. Um, I speak for all Purdue students. We all love you dearly. Um, we're super fortunate and happy to have you as our president. So how did you kind of, uh, like what made you want to become the president of Purdue? Well, it wasn't my idea, honestly. I, I thought I was, uh, when I finished my last job, my intention was to go back to business. I had a couple ideas and I was trying not to make a decision, but then the uh, search committee uh, came around quietly and and I sent them away two or three times, but then I couldn't quite let go of the idea. And I guess it was, Dub, as much as anything, uh, I started asking myself the question, aside from the job I was leaving, in what other job could I, what other job could I think of where if a person did a, performed well and, and did a good job, it could make a more positive difference, certainly for the uh, state of Indiana and, and maybe beyond. And the longer I thought about them, the more I saw this as a, as a real opportunity. And I've never been so glad for anything I had decided to do. It's, uh, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I, uh, uh, I'm so, I, I just, I, I, obviously, I, I love the uh, chance to uh, interact with students and the things I learned from them. Um, I believe our mission is a really great one that fits the times, you know, that we teach everything here, but we, we teach some things really, really well uh, in the STEM area and so forth that are so important to the future of the state and the country. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, I'm, uh, I, I didn't see it coming and I wasn't smart enough to think it up, but I'm sure glad it came along. And uh, uh, I, I've never had a, more fulfilling job, I really haven't. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of differences and similarities are there between being the governor of Indiana and, and the president of Purdue? Um, <laughs> well, um, uh, in both cases, I think, and this is really true of I, I, almost any position of a broad responsibility, I think the, the essence of the job is to, is to um, um, think, try to think about how um, the entity, whether it's a state, a university, a business, uh, how it can uh, go to a higher place, you know, and, and paint a picture of that for people. And try to get people, you know, first have, try to have a sense of uh, how you can make the place, leave the place better than you found it. You know, we're in Cub Scouts, we were all taught, leave the, leave the campsite cleaner than you found it. And um, so uh, first to, to think hard about big things. I never, I always thought it was a, um, a dereliction of duty to have a, a, a big job, just sort of tend the store, be a caretaker. That's part of it. But you really ought to have, you ought to be able to, I always said, answer the why question. Why am I gonna do this? What, what's gonna be bigger, what, what that really matters is gonna be better if we can pull it off. And then to, as I say, describe that to people in a way that maybe gets them excited about it. And then of course, try to get a lot of people moving in the same direction. I always used to say to my, my coworkers at the state, you know, nothing big ever happens because of one person. It's only when a lot of talented people uh, come together and aim at the same goal and, 
that, that big, that, that big uh, improvements occur. So I guess that's my outlook. And to me, that's very much the same in both places. Um, I hope uh, after this uh, experience is over that uh, Boilermakers uh, will, will say that this was a good period for Purdue, that we moved ahead on some important fronts. Um, that'll be the test. Mm -hmm. Yep, no doubt. Uh, so just a couple more things, and now we're running close on time. I want to talk about tuition freeze. I had a couple of people ask me about that. Um, they wanted, they were curious about how you were able to do that, and um, how long do you think we'll be able to sus sustain that? Yeah, well, these are frequent questions over the years, and I'll, I'll I'll start by saying that I had no idea at the beginning that we'd be able to run the string as long as we have mm -hmm. eight years, and it it will be at least nine. Um, uh, I guess the simplest uh, answer <clears throat> that I've learned to give is we solve the equation for zero, by which I mean, we start by saying, what would it take uh, if your top priority was to, to hold the cost where it is, or in, actually we've brought it down a little bit, room and board and so forth, being, uh, have been cut a little bit. Um, if that's your number one goal and you fix that, you know, and treat everything else as variable, you know, what else would you have to do? And if you start with that uh, mentality, um, I don't want to say it's been easy, but it, uh, it hasn't been nearly as difficult as, as people imagine it to be, or maybe I would have thought it was. Uh, the, other, the other thing is you, nothing is too small. And if, I'm back to, if you get lots of people involved, mm -hmm. and if you can get enough people just stopping and asking themselves the question, is there a more efficient way to do this? Do we really need to be doing this at all? You know, uh, at the very beginning, Dub, I remember it was sort of a gimmick, but I said to people, we're gonna create a student affordability fund. It's just an accounting device. But every time we save even a small amount of money, we're gonna put it in that account so it doesn't get spent on something else. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I remember I said, just, just think of a, a we talk in uh, in employment terms about uh, uh, full-time equivalents, FTEs. I said, think about STEs, student tuition equivalents. I said, every time we save $10,000, that's one student's whole year, in-state in student's whole year. Yeah. So no amount is too small to, to think about. And so we've done a few big things that, 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 that uh, had multi-million dollar effects but the credit really goes to people across the university who have done a host of smaller things that have allowed us to keep spending from um, requiring tuition increases. And, uh, and, I, and there's one other thing to say about it. And that is that um, it, we have, the university has grown. And, I, and we know that one reason, not the only reason, but one reason that more and more students from everywhere have been coming here is, they, um, is affordability. They think it's a great value, a great education at a price that's lower than, than um, many of, of our competitors. And, uh, and then uh, uh, they have, uh, uh, brought their tuition dollars with them. So we've had, a, we've had more dollars to work with. So that's been, a, um, I guess, the, the sum of it. Um, I do believe it's been a right thing to do. And it turned out the, you know, to be a, a, good, a good thing from, a, I'll call it a business standpoint. Mm -hmm. It's great for the student's perspective too.
I must say myself. Uh, so last thing I wanted to ask you, um, with all, with your, with your um, past in politics as the governor of Indiana, I know a lot of people, um, students specifically, said, hey, will Mitch Daniels ever run for president? So I was wondering if you had ever considered that or if that would be a possibility. Well, there might have been a time for that, but you know, the old, there's an old cliche, timing's everything, and certainly in, uh, in politics. If there was a time for that, it was toward the end of my last uh, job. And uh, I did think about it. There were a, 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 an astonishing number and variety of people who I respected who brought the idea to me. And um, so I finally took it seriously, um, decided it wasn't the right thing from a, certainly not from a family standpoint. And uh, haven't looked back. You know, I, it's, it's nice when somebody brings it up. My line around Purdue always is, look, at this point in life, I'm not taking the demotion. Yeah. Right. Like, like I got a better job. I, got, I held out and got a better job. And that's, uh, that's the way I look at, uh, at the chance to work here at Purdue and, and always will. Mm -hmm. And then actually the last thing, my friend Drew Bargava, shout out to him. He wanted me to ask you this. Uh, you, we all know that you love going to the Co-Rec. So we were wondering what your favorite lift was to do at the Co-Rec. Well, Drew, uh, it's interesting, you know, over, I've been doing this now for all, so many decades, uh, running and, and, and some swimming and, 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 you know, enough weightlifting to stay toned up. The, the thing is, over the course of time, it's gotten narrower and narrower because you, if, if I injure something, then I usually, I wind up stopping, you know. Uh, so there's certain, so I, I'm really down to uh, curls and uh, uh, lats, you know, pulling down. Yeah. Don't push up anymore. And then, uh, and then, uh, you know, chest pressed up or, or, or push-ups where, where that's the only way to do it. But yeah, that's one thing about getting older. I mean, the, the range of things, I finally stopped running, you know, so now it's a, it's a uh, elliptical and a stationary bike. Uh, uh, and, uh, but that just, you know, you can still find something to do. And, and that's, uh, that's kind of what I'm down to. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I just want to say thank you so much for not only coming on my podcast and getting your message out to the students at Purdue, but for everything that you've done for us. Um, we're truly thankful to have you as the president. Well, Doug, no, no, I was, no need thanking me. I always say a person needn't be thanked for just doing what they were hired to do, but it has been a joy. Congratulations to you on this. Uh, greetings to all the uh, uh, hammer and rails and other uh, 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 followers of Purdue sports. Uh, you know, we'll do all we can to get back in, back, back in play as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. No doubt. Thank you so much. Okay. See you. Stay safe.